Let's open our Bibles to Exodus chapter 25 again, if you will. And our last section we read was from verse 23 to verse 30, and we didn't quite finish talking about the table of showbread. And uh, so we'll read that again, and then we'll read about the candlestick beginning in verse 31 if we get to it. And I trust that we'll, we'll try to get there, but there's some many things that we want to, to bring out that, that we're not sure just how far we'll get. But we want to bring out what we can in order for, to make it a real blessing. So, let's read verse 23. Thou shalt also make a table of shittim wood. Actually, we call it acacia wood, too. There's another name. Two cubits shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, and make there un, thereto a crown of gold round about. And thou shalt make unto it a border of an handbreadth, round about, and thou shalt make a golden crown to the border thereof, round about. And thou shalt make for it four rings of gold, and put the rings in the four corners that are on the four feet thereof. Over against the border shall the rings be for places for the, of the staves to bear the table. And thou shalt make the staves of shittim wood, and overlay them with gold, that the table may be borne, with them, and thou shalt make the dishes thereof, and spoons thereof, and covers thereof, and bowls thereof to cover withal. Of pure gold shalt thou make them, and thou shalt set upon the table showbread before me always. So let's stop right there. And uh, of course, we uh, have already said that we're teaching the tabernacle, and we mentioned two or three times from the inside out, from God to man. And then the last part of the teaching of the tabernacle in Exodus, you'll find it starts out with a brazen altar out in front in the court and comes from man or from the outside in to the presence of God. And you know, this is a very good uh, way to teach it because actually salvation came to us from God to man. And then man responded from outside to the inside. So it's, it's a good way to look at it. Uh, remember when Adam and Eve sinned, well, uh, they did not come directly into God's presence. God went out to them, and of course, uh, God sought man. And He's been seeking man ever since. Because man, by nature, doesn't seek to uh, seek God. So God seeks him in the ways that we've studied in the Bible. But anyway, we find that this... Uh, table being made of acacia wood speaks of the humanity of Christ and overlaid with gold speaks of the deity of Christ. We've had most of these things in our previous lessons, but we know that uh, the man Christ Jesus is seen through all the figures and types and shadows in the Old Testament. And so who do we see? We see Christ in His humanity and we see Christ in His deity. And uh, if you... Remember Romans chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, I believe I gave you that reference. And it's speaking of both the humanity and the deity of Christ. And it says, concerning His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, listen, who was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. That is humanity. And the fourth verse says, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So in those two verses, Romans 1, 3 and 4, you have both of these things. You have the acacia wood, and you have the, the gold. You have the humanity of Christ, and you have the deity of Christ. 
And then we come to the thought of these two crowns that are spoken of on this table. It had two crowns, the inner and outer. It had four rings, golden rings, at the four corners. And of course, these staves were put in the rings to carry the table from place to place. And we'll get into how it was transported in, in some of our references probably. And uh, so these two wooden bars covered with gold uh, were to carry the table where, when they had to journey or transport it, whatever uh, way they had to transport. And of course, it had to be carried by hand. We study the Old Testament and there are certain things that were loaded on wagons and other certain things. I believe it was the Kohathites had to carry by hand pieces of furniture that were that they were to carry. I believe I have that right when I look at a reference. But you'll find that uh, the three sons of, of Aaron had to carry these things as was designated. Now then, uh, we find that there were twelve loaves of bread placed on this table. There were six in a row. Two rows, like over here. Two rows. And... Uh, that they made up one unit, the bread in the table made up one unit. And uh, this bread was renewed every Sabbath day. The old bread was taken off and eaten by the priestly family in the holy place. And on these loaves was placed frankincense. This is a, a picture of the sweetness of Christ. And the, as we said, the twelve loaves represent the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. And so we find that God makes provision for all of His children. Because all of them were represented by these twelve loaves. And so, uh, we find in the New Testament that, that we are one body in Christ in the local church. And Christ is the head. And as the bread and the table are one, so Christ and His church are one. And um, we'll find that uh, Paul speaks of the church at Corinth and says, Ye are the temple of God, and members in particular. And the table upheld these loaves. When you read over in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 and 21, you'll find that the, uh, the apostles and prophets being said in the church, and it tells us we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. Now listen, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. And so, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ inhabits the church. And thank God He has promised that uh, we're two or three gathered in, gathered in my name. There am I in the midst of them. And we depend upon Christ's presence in our church. During the song service, during our prayer meetings, during the preaching, uh, in everything that goes on in the house of God, we trust that as Paul told Timothy, it's a church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now then, uh, this table, as we said, upheld the loaves. And neither was complete without the other. Uh, so, Christ being represented by the table of showbread and the, the bread of life that, of course, is ours. He is the bread of life to us. That we're complete in Him. Completely, as the Bible says in the New Testament. Christ's work was not complete without us, by the way. We're a part of His work. And uh, there would be no people in heaven in His presence were it not for Him, but He would not be complete without us. 
The Bible tells us that we have an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith and the salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. But then it also says that we are His inheritance. So just as He is our inheritance and has one reserved for us, we are His inheritance. And you find out in Ephesians chapter 1 that His inheritance in the saints... And uh, also in Deuteronomy, it says the Lord's portion is, is His people. Jacob is the lot of His inheritance. Now, when we start talking about the bread, it was made of the finest flour. Let's look in Leviticus chapter 24, verses 5 through 9. Leviticus 24, verses 5 through 9. It says, And thou shalt take fine flour and bake twelve cakes thereof. Two-tenth deals shall be in one cake. And thou shalt set them in two rows, six on a row, upon the pure table before the Lord. And thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each row, <coughs> that it may be <coughs> on, the, on the bread for a memorial, even an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Every Sabbath you shall, uh, he shall set in, it in order before the Lord continually. Notice it was to be there continually. Being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. Uh, and it shall be Aaron's and his sons, and they shall eat it in the holy place, for it is most holy unto him of the offerings of the Lord made by fire by perpetual statute. So when we start talking about this bread, this speaks of Christ in so many ways. The bread itself. We need to understand how it is made of fine flour and how this flour was gotten. When we think about the preparation of this bread upon the table, wheat had to be harvested, first of all, and it had to be separated from the chaff, and it had to be ground at the mill, so it was fine flour. You know, ladies know that there's a regular coarse flour, and there's all kinds of flour ground of the wheat, but they know that the fine flour, a lot of times you have to have the Cake flour, they call it. I believe the cake flour is supposed to be fine. But uh, anyway, it, it has to be different kinds of flour. And we find that, uh, that when we start studying it, that Jesus, in John chapter 12, verse 24 says, Verily, verily I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. So he is that wheat, and that grain of wheat, and that wheat that is to be ground fine. So when we think of how it applies to Jesus Christ, first he was cut down, Isaiah 53, verse 8. And then secondly, we find he was sifted by suffering, Isaiah 53, verse 5. The Bible tells us that through his sufferings in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. Let's read this one for you. In the book of Hebrews. Chapter 2, and I want you to get this, in verse 10, <clears throat> notice what it says concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. For it became Him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons into glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Now, uh, Christ was already perfect, but in order to meet our needs, He was perfected in these sufferings so that uh, he could actually 
suffer for our sins and prove himself to you and I as a sufficient sacrifice. He already had uh, done this before God, but this was to show, not to prove, but maybe that's a little different word than I should use, but to show himself that he went through these sufferings for, for you and I, that he might redeem us and save us. For it says in verse 11, if you still have Hebrews 2 open, it says, For both he that sanctifieth, that's Christ, and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. And we could go on and on with that passage, but we'll not take time to do that. So we find that he was sifted by sufferings, and that he was ground and bruised, fine in the mill of God's judgment. The Bible tells us that on the cross he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And in the judgment of God that he bore the penalty of our sins, we might say that he was ground fined under God's judgments. The bread must be without leaven too. Leaven is a type of sin, isn't it? And we find in Hebrews 7 verse 26, let me read this one for you. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 26, it says this, For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. So you can see the the unleavened bread in the person of Christ. That there was no sin in Him, on Him, or about Him. The Bible says He knew no sin, He did no sin, and in Him was no sin. The testimony of Paul and Peter and John. All three. (coughs) And so... Pure and holy before God and man was Christ. And this fine flower means something else to us. You know, we could. There, there's so much detail about each and everything we're studying that uh, we might bring out some of it because I think it's necessary for us to fully understand what we're talking about. Fine flower means no unevenness. There was not anything uneven about the person and life of Christ. There were no lumps, and there were no coarseness. It was fine flour. No unevenness, no lumps, and no no coarseness. You know, I used to eat cream of wheat once in a while. And you ladies know what it is to fix cream of wheat for breakfast. I tell you what, if it's full of lumps, you can count me out. (laughs) And you know, that's the way a lot of folks cook it. And if you don't stir it, and keep it even all the time, that's what you're going to end up with. So, uh, there's a lot of things. And then the unevenness about uh, Christ. There was no unevenness. And there was no coarseness. He was perfectly uh, true in every aspect of His life. He said, I do all things, always all things that please the Father. When He had to deal with men, He dealt with them in... Uh, mercy and grace and forgiveness. And yet he was stern. Uh, he, this bread was anointed with that, or sprinkled with that pure frankincense, which is a preservative. And you find the sweetness of the anointed presence of Christ. Where Christ is present, there's sweetness. There's not uh, bitterness, or there's not uh, unforgiveness, there's not. Anything that would be contrary to the nature and person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He revealed the Heavenly Father to us. He said that 
He has revealed God the Father to us. So, there are so many things. We see the sinlessness of Christ. He says, which of you convinces me of sin? And of course, they, he had no takers, right? Uh, and each of these twelve loaves, we said, represented one of the tribes of Israel. Each and every tribe and family was represented. We've already mentioned just in bypassing before we got to it, actually. It's in the 28th chapter, I believe you'll find it. The names of the children of Israel on the onyx stones on the shoulder dress or, or, or the garments of the high priest upon the shoulders. There was two onyx stones and on each of the shoulder were names of six, six, making a total of twelve of the tribes of the children of Israel. And then we spoke of the breastplate in the same chapter. This uh, square piece of uh, the breastplate that you put on the ephod. And on it, it had four rows of three. Freedom four is twelve. And on the names of those stones that were on the breastplate, all of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel were there. So, the first one, he, they were born upon his shoulder. And the second uh, set of names, upon his breast. And you'll find, we gave that in the 28th chapter previously, if you drop back to verse 9, in the 28th chapter we'll find on the shoulder, and then verse 29 we'll find upon the, on the breast. Let's look at that again to remind you that what we're studying here about the loaves are, are also duplicated by the twelve names on these stones and upon the breastplate and upon the uh, shoulder pieces. Let's read in chapter 28, verse 9. Thou shalt take two onyx stones and grave on them the names of the children of Israel. Six of their names on the one stone and the other six names on the, of the rest on the other stone according to their birth. And it goes on down in verse 12 and says, And thou shalt put the two stones upon the shoulders of the ephod for stones of memorial under the children of Israel, and Aaron shall bear their names, now look, before the Lord upon his two shoulders for a memorial. So we see that all the tribes, all the families of the children of Israel were represented on, on his shoulders. And this speaks of the fact that all of us now, typically, find that Christ bears in his strength us upon his shoulders. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So he's our strength. And then you drop on down to verse uh, uh, 15. Thou shalt make the breastplate of judgment with cunning work. After the work of the ephod shalt thou make it of gold, of blue, and purple, and scarlet. And by the way, all these colors, we gave you the meaning of that. You have, If you have that sheet of paper I gave you, it shows the meaning of these colors that are in, in the uh, materials. But it says in verse 16, Four square it shall be, being double. A span shall be the length thereof, and a span shall be the breadth thereof. And thou shalt set it in settings of stones, even four rows of stones. The first row shall be a sardius, a topaz, and a carbuncle. This shall be the first row. And the second row shall be an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. And the third row, a ligure, an agate, an amethyst. And the fourth, a beryl, and an onyx, and a jasper. 
They shall be set in gold in their enclosings. And the stones shall be with the names of the children of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engravings of the signet. Everyone with his name shall they be according to the twelve tribes. Now drop down to verse 29. And Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel in the breastplate of judgment upon his heart when he goeth into the holy place for a memorial before the Lord continually. So how are we represented by our great high priest in heaven? We are born upon his shoulders for strength. We are born upon his heart for love. Thank God that he is the complete, great, and merciful high priest seated on the right hand of God. And we have all of his family represented. And by the way, we are a priestly family. And we find that over in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. And we've been through this before. But let's look at it. 1 Peter chapter 2. Let me give you two verses. Verse 5 says, Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And down in verse 9 it says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. The word praises there means actually as well as praise outwardly like we read in verse 5, but it means the virtues of Christ. And we find that in Hebrews 13, if you want to just flip back there, it shows you how that our sacrifices are offered and acceptable to God. Hebrews 13 and verse... 15, it says, By Him, that is Christ, therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. Now look. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. You see, we as believer priests, individual Christians, are to offer up what? The sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Three things we're to offer. What are they? We're to offer ourselves. Then we're to offer our praises. And then we're to offer our purses. By the way, our our possessions. You say, well, where do you get that, preacher? All right, listen. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Right? So ourselves. Uh, Paul speaks of uh, the Corinthians. He says they first gave their own selves and then to us by the will of God. So, present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then we know that it speaks directly of praises here. Offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. And then it says in verse uh, 16, you still have Hebrews 13. It says, but to do good and communicate. What does it mean by communicate? Look in Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 6. I want you to get this. Because sometimes we pass over some important thoughts. It says, 
Let him that is taught in the word communicate under him that teacheth in all good things. And that has to do with giving. Material giving. Right? And so, you find that Paul mentions it again in the book of uh, Philippians, I believe you'll find it. Chapter 4. Look in Philippians chapter 4. In verse 15, Paul says, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. What did he say at communicating? As concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. So, Paul is speaking to the Philippian church, pointing out that communicating in this sense is communicating concerning giving and receiving. His support. And uh, he says, no church but you. They were very privileged and very blessed. And that's why he said later on, but my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And so, sometimes people take these Scriptures out of context say, well, you know, God said He'd supply all my needs. Well, He did. But do you do good? In, are you the one that communicates concerning giving and receiving? See, that's the context of that in that fourth chapter of Philippians. That's the context of it. And so some people, sometimes people want to claim... Thank you for the music. Uh, sometimes people want to claim... Promises that are conditioned upon uh, other things. And anyway, we know God will take care of us. But on the other hand, we have some responsibilities too, don't we? You know, there are people that want to avoid responsibility to get the blessing. Right? And sometimes, in order to get the blessing, you have to meet the conditions of being responsible. Well, anyway, that's another lesson in itself. Where were we? We was talking about the uh, twelve loaves and them in a row. And we talked about you and I being upon Christ's shoulder for strength and upon His breast for, for mercy and compassion and love. All that's involved in that. Therefore, in Hebrews chapter 4, we're bidden to come to Him. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. He says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Alright? So, God makes provision for all of His own. And Jesus is enough to completely satisfy and be satisfying for every believer's uh, need and every believer priest. And we are that in His sight. And we find that the loaves were anointed with the incense. We find this is a picture of the sweetness of Christ. And uh, the Bible tells us... Let me give you Ephesians 5, verse 2. I think this is a very important one. It says, "...in walk in love." We preached on it Sunday, by the way, as a part of our message. But we preached on the walks of Ephesians. The walk of a Christian is revealed in the book of Ephesians. But right here in Ephesians 5, 2, it says, And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, now listen, and hath given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God, look, for a sweet-smelling savor. That frankincense-anointed bread for a sweet-smelling savor. There's so much in this verse that 
I, I just want to touch upon it. It says, "...hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor." You know, when you get in the book of Leviticus, and we're not there yet, but we're going to teach it when we get there, and you study those offerings, you'll find that there were whole burnt offerings, and there were sin offerings, trespass offerings, peace offerings, and so on. But we find that when there was a sin offering, that was for the sins of the people. And we find that when there was a whole burnt offering, that was a sweet incense or smell in the nostrils of God. So that verse of Scripture I gave you, in the one sacrifice of Christ, you have all of those offerings fulfilled. And I pointed it out before, not only did He die for us and for, and for our sins, He offered Himself a sacrifice to God for us, a sacrifice for us, but then to God for a sweet-smelling savor, the whole burnt offering to God. So what do you see? That when Jesus died on the cross, He not only died to atone for our sins, to sacrifice for our sins, but He had died in His death. He did that which was well-pleasing to God. And Isaiah 53 says, He shall see the travail of His soul and shall be satisfied. For by His knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. For He shall bear their iniquities. So in offering Himself for our sins, God was so well-pleased with the finished sacrifice of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. I can't put it any other way. Uh, I believe that God is perfectly satisfied with what Jesus has done for us. And I believe that we should be completely satisfied that His offering and sacrifice was sufficient for us. And uh, therefore, we should be completely at peace with God through what He has done. No other way man can be totally at peace at peace with God unless he really believes that Christ's finished work is complete for him, that he's made peace by the blood of his cross. Colossians 1, verse 20 is it? 18, verse 20, on down the whole thing. Uh, so he has made peace for us by the blood of his cross. And uh, so we can truthfully rest assured and secure. Some people don't believe in the security of the believer. But I don't know how it could be anything else. I just don't see how that not rest in the fact that you're secure in what Jesus has done for you, for us. What are you going to do to try to add to it? Say, well, I'm going to hold out faithful to the end. I'm afraid you don't. I'm going to, I'm going to live a sinless life. I'm afraid you can't. Uh, I'm going to do the best I can. That's not good enough. So what are you going to rest in for security if you not, do not believe that the finished work of Christ is sufficient to make you secure both now and forever in God's sight and that He will not judge our sins which He has already judged in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, we're talking about this bread. It's fine flour. And uh, let's see if we can go on to some further thoughts now. Uh, we might just mention that this table was the center of union for the priestly family. It was a center of union. And we find that our center of union is found there too. 
Uh, we quoted a scripture in Psalm 133, verse 1. It says, Behold, and last Sunday we preached on this uh, uh, unity. It says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And it's a very pleasant thing. And this, this place was not only uh, symbolical of eating. Jesus says, that When a man eats of this bread, he shall live forever. I'm the bread of life which came down from heaven. John chapter 6. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. So he's the true bread of life. And then we find that it's appropriated by faith. The eating of it is by faith. Because Jesus goes on to say in John chapter 6, that verily, verily, I say unto you that he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. So he equates that with eating of that bread of life. (coughs) And you and I have put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore we appropriate Him and His sacrifice to us. Personally and individually, we appropriate it. It was to be eaten by the priestly family in the holy place. And this was a center of fellowship for the priestly family. This must be the center of harmony in the local church as well. The absolute uh, nearness to Christ, to be occupied with Christ, as the bread on the table were one, so Christ and the church and His believers in the church are one. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. And uh, we find many scriptures that can back up that thought. Let's see if we can progress on to something else now. Okay. Uh, these loaves must pass through the fire of the oven. By the way, you never bake that bread unless it goes through the heat. This speaks of the inner sufferings of Christ. We've already spoken of the outer sufferings, but this describes the inner sufferings of Christ. And you know, I I think that our words and time and thought would fail to describe the inner sufferings of Christ. I know we get a glimpse of it with Christ Jesus on the cross of Calvary and what He suffered for us there. And... uh, being ridiculed by men. We don't know what all the Lord suffered as He hung on the cross of Calvary, but we know in the midst of it all, He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He said to the repentant thief, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. He said to His mother, Behold thy son, behold thy mother, and turn Mary over to John's care, not vice versa, by the way, which is another point of that we don't want to get into right now. But some have done that, haven't they? But under John's care, and we know that uh, as far as uh, the inner sufferings of Christ, we see at least a part of it when he said, I thirst. Was he just thirsting for water? I'm sure he wanted water too. Because of his body. He was the man, Christ Jesus. But I imagine he was thirsting, as the psalmist said, uh, as an heart thirsteth after the water, panteth after the water brook, so doth my soul pant after thee, O God. And he was thirsting not only for God and get in God's presence after this was all over, but for the souls of men for whom he was dying. So there's a lot of inner sufferings that I don't believe you and I could even hardly could hardly even touch upon, 
But uh, we do mention them because they are part of it. And we already have pointed out that this bread must be without leaven. <coughs> we, we haven't mentioned that 12 is the number of the administrative perfection as well. We find that we get over in the New Testament and get over in the book of Revelation, the 24 elders, and we find that there's a representation of all the Old Testament saints and all the New Testament saints. Or we might say all the tribes of Israel and the New Testament apostles. And we know that they're represented there as well. So there's a lot of things that could be studied. Qualifications for coming into this presence of the table and eating from the table it was only after the priest had come by the brazen altar. Look at the approach to the table. The approach. The priest had to come by the brazen altar of sacrifice out on the, in the courtyard before you entered the tabernacle. And of course, that's where the sin offering was made, right? And all the other offerings that were blood offerings and sacrifices. But the, and it's only after the priest had come by that, and only after the priest had come by the brazen labor, you have the little diagram I gave you, that's still on the outside of the tabernacle, and washed and cleansed himself, his hands and his feet, to come in. And then it's only after the priest had come under the veil, the first veil out there, could he enter into this holy place. We let this church, we've used it many times for... An illustration like this was the holy place and maybe the second veil here, the most holy place behind there. And in our studies, we've already been behind there and we're coming out in our studies to this table of showbread. In our next lesson, if you glance down, if you have Exodus 25 open, you look at verse 31 and it speaks of the candlestick, see, right on the other side of this holy place. But so far... We have come out, but for the priest to come in, he had to come by the brazen uh, altar of sacrifice. He had to come by that uh, brazen laver where the water was and wash himself. And then come through that veil and into this holy place and approach it from the outside in order to enter where this uh, table of showbread was. So what three things? qualifications in coming to this table and eating of this table had to start with a sacrifice on the outside, had to start with cleansing on the outside, and then coming in the, within the veil at the entrance before you could even enter this holy place. And the closeness of the bread and the table indicates the unity that we've been speaking of. And unity is only possible as we rest upon the Lord Jesus Christ, we can only have unity because the Bible says there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. That's what we preached on Sunday. And uh, it's only possible in that way. And the supply of bread, by the way, was inexhaustible. Every, every bit was, that was needed was there. And it was continual. We gave you a verse that showed it was continual. And you know, when you think of that table itself, the height of it allowed even the smallest to approach it. And the bread must be eaten. It would not just to approach and look upon it. You know, there are people that Christ is, in a sense, revealed to them as the bread of life, but they do not appropriate that bread for themselves. And 
Every individual must appropriate Christ as the bread of life for their salvation. And everyone is responsible for that himself. No one can do it for another. Father cannot do it for a son, son for a father, mother, vice versa, family, brother, sister. Every individual has to appropriate it for himself. That's why when we start preaching the gospel, little boys and girls accept Christ. They appropriate by faith Christ the bread of life for their own salvation. And every individual has to do that. Then, of course, we know New Testament church that we're instructed to do other things. To follow the Lord in scriptural baptism. And if you're a child of God, you've been saved, you need to be scripturally baptized. And once you're scripturally baptized, you become a member of that local church, that congregation. And then the pastor has a responsibility to see that you're taught, not only by himself, but by others that are qualified to do the teaching. All things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the, the world. So it was uh, the height of the table allowed even the smallest to come. We, we went back, we could go back and show you the dimensions. It's not necessary because we already described the dimensions of that table and uh, how high it was and the size of it and everything. I think I've given you that before. I'm sure I have in our last lesson. And uh, we said no one was to find fault with the bread. As we eat the bread, we remain healthy, by the way. We're sustained by it, too. Jesus said, that uh, in John chapter 6, as He was sustained by the Father, so were we sustained. Let me read it for you. In uh, John chapter 6, verse 57, He says, As the living Father has sent Me, and I live by the Father, John 6, verse 57, So he that eateth Me, even he shall live by Me. So if we participate in feeding upon Christ, uh, He sustains our lives as well. There are many Christians that need this sustaining living. They maybe have tasted and seen that the Lord is good and trust Him as Lord and Savior, but they wonder why they get backslidden and away and this and that and the other. They do not daily sustain themselves upon feeding upon the Lord Jesus Christ and upon feeding upon His Word. And that's what it takes. And you find that, that people get backslidden and away from God because they neglect the study of the Bible. They neglect the house of God. They neglect prayer. And they, ne they neglect their fellowship with the Lord on a daily basis. And I've tried to encourage people to uh, read their Bibles, to pray, and also to attend the services because... You know, someone says, well, I'll miss Wednesday night. Just think, if you've been studying the, what we've been talking about, if you had have missed tonight,